Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and somehow I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together. Because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Out of Patience. We got a great show for you today. But before we get started, if you like the show, I hope you do. Please consider leaving me a review or rating something, anything. If not, okay, whatever. Here we go. Amanda Ferraro. Her blog is Cancer is an Asshole. That's kind of all I really need to say. But my God, there's no contest here. But this poor girl's been through the ringer and she is astonishingly inspirational and motivational. She was diagnosed with leukemia in 2017 and had had seven previous brain surgeries for a cyst on her cerebellum. Yes, that's where my tumor was. We are cerebellum buddies. Her sister had brain cancer when she was six years old. Her aunt had Ewing sarcoma at 18. Her grandfather had lung cancer when she was 13. She has been seeing the effects of cancer her whole life. Six months after her leukemia diagnosis, she relapsed and was given 20% chance to live. But she did have an induction chemo and then stem cell transplant. Guess what? She's still here. She's cancer-free and she's live in studio and she's awesome. And once again, her blog is Cancer is an Asshole. Need I say any more about what you're in store for? Ladies and gentlemen, Amanda Ferraro. Amanda Ferraro, thank you so much for coming on my show. Welcome to Out of Patience. Thank you for having me which you clearly are out of patience, aren't you? Absolutely. I really appreciate the fact that you have embodied everything that we believed might have been truth 20 years ago when this whole, you know, uh, geezer and baby cancer, no offense to geezers and baby cancer, that it was time for that little middle group to stand up for itself. And Going back to Heidi Adams, full props to Heidi Adams for starting like the first funny tongue in cheek kind of kiss my ass website where <laughs> it was OK to be dark and funny and, you know, like Animal Planet with less hair was her T-shirts just really set in motion this fabulous movement that you have regrettably been drafted into, <laughs> but you continue the culture of so. How do you feel about that? You, you've, you've listened to the documentary. You have this perspective of the Gen X geezers like me who have kind of passed the torch. Where are you at these days? 
I'm right in the middle and loving it. I think there's not enough representation of young adults. I feel like it does go from baby to older and there's kind of a middle ground that's left out, a gray area, so to speak. And I'm happy to be a voice for young adults that have cancer. I want to start by, and I did all of my, I guess, stalking would be a potentially inappropriate <laughs> word in cancel culture days. Okay. But I get it. You went through all sorts of crazy shit before you were diagnosed. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about that. So I was born with double pneumonia. Um, I had swallowed my mom's amniotic fluid uh, at birth. And then when I was four months old, I had scarlet fever. So that was my beginning birth story. When I was eight years old, I was diagnosed with a cyst on my cerebellum and hydrocephalus. So I had my first brain surgery at eight. Um, I was good for 10 years. And then I had brain surgery again my senior year of high school in 2006 and then one in 2007 because the fluid was built up another one or two in 2008 and that lasted a, a few years and then i had a complete reconstruction in 2011 and then the most recently was 2013 while i was 16 weeks pregnant with my son because the shunt was scraping the right atrium of my heart so that had to be shortened. Um, but as of right now, I'm doing great. <laughs> My dad, who I don't know if you have heard of or got to see in person, uh, Mayor Lou, uh, he kind of invented the boomers of stupid cancer universe where our parents who were not sick gave a crap about young adult cancer. His, I think his strongest mantra to me was always uh, clean up nice, but never look under the hood. Like that. Yeah. Never look, I mean, because... God knows what's under there. You just told everyone right. what's under there. But I don't know if you know this, but we are we are um, cerebellum buddies. I had a tumor called the medulloblastoma, which is a congenital brain tumor, but it wow. happens to be in your cerebellum. So AP Bio came in really handy that I knew what the hell that was. Right. Now I know from a bunch of research, we have a genetic mutation, but my aunt had cancer right before I was diagnosed. And my sister actually, when she was six years old, was diagnosed with a primitive neuroectodermal tumor. So she had brain cancer when she was six years old. Wow. So it yeah. really is a, a love affair within the family. Unfortunately, a love affair with cancer. You are a catch. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think what intrigues me the most is, so you were diagnosed in 2017 with the cancer. You had all the other fabulous stuff beforehand, but it was actually 2017 yes. when all the shit really actually hit that fan. And this was a year before I stepped down. This was 17 years after Heidi started Planet Cancer. This was well into where institutionalization of the words adolescent and young adult were being built into research and academia and psychosocial, knowing what you know now with the history behind you, do you feel as if you were in the same entrapped whirlwind of what the fuckery when you were diagnosed? Or did you find a network, find a community, take advantage of the good parts of social media when you were ready to do that? 
Well, in all honesty, I really kind of felt thrown into a whirlwind of what the fuck. I was a young mom. I had a three-year-old son and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. I was uh, 28 when I was diagnosed. So I was young and I just felt like there was so much against me and it was hard and I didn't know where to turn and I didn't know what to do. And I had doctor's appointments and hospitals and insurance and out-of-pocket expenses. And I was like, oh my God. And I just realized like so many people must be going through this. It can't just be me. Like what's going, like I haven't heard anything about what's happening with motherhood and cancer and nothing is talked about. So I decided I was going to talk about it. So basically the same vortex that I went through in 1995, you went through in 2017. A, that's God awful terrible. But do you, so you don't feel like you were treated like a 28 year old mom. You were treated like anyone else. That was just a number at the cancer center. Right. I just felt like, okay, you have cancer. This is what you're going to do. Here's your plan. Here's your schedule. Here's your treatment. Do it. And I was like, wait, I have a whole other life. That doesn't go on the back burner. I can't just pause that. Like, how do I live? How do I be a parent? How do I, you know, put my son to school? How do I pay my bills? Like all of these things when you're starting out in life and it's, I couldn't find answers anywhere. So literally you were in the middle of a giant typhoon of uncertainty. There were, no one came to your support rescue in a sense and said, hey, here's a group, here's a flyer, here's an event. There was no peer-to-peer anything at the onset. In the beginning, I had the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and they were peer-to-peer with me. I was able to talk to them, and they did have help with like financial things. But I felt like, okay, like I'm young, so I'm not pediatric, but I'm also not end of life. Like, where do I fit? So it was that for me, for being like, okay, I need to talk to people who are my age or who are going through the same things I'm going through that I can talk to and say, this fucking sucks. Right. Yeah. So this speaks to me in a sense that it's not that all the hard work that we put in in the 2000s hasn't paid off. It's that the idea that there are things that can help normalize to an extent and and reduce your stress and give you those life hacks as a young mom are there, but it still falls into the vacuum of knowing those things exist because you're in crisis and is it really the cancer center's responsibility to know all that? Exactly, 100%. So I mixed emotions on that, clearly. So, <laughs> you know, uh, we did so much, but there's so much work to be done is kind of a trope, but it does kind of anger me that you were treated at a clinic that probably should have had a better standard of care, a better best practice, a better sense of you as a person and not as a tumor. Right. And I think a lot of young cancer patients feel like that. And it's and it's no one's fault at all. But it's like, okay, you're diagnosed. Here's your treatment plan. This is your doctor. This is what you're doing. And you're not thinking about what brought them there and what their life was like. These are people who have things going on not just a number, not just money, not just a cancer. You spent 
longer than you would have liked, which was any amount of time away from your son yeah. while you were going through the initial stages here. How did you manage childcare? So my son's father, my fiance, quit his job and stayed home with him while I went on disability and through foundations and family and we were able to make it through. But, you know, people don't have that. And that's why I'm such a big advocate today, because if I didn't have family and friends and foundations and people who really cared and loved and supported me and my family, I don't know how it would have ended. Yeah. And even after six months of your cancer free, those famous last words, right? Right. Yeah. Boom. See ya. Hands up. Yeah. So your son had started preschool by then. It was a whole other level of what the hell am I doing? I'm not 80. I'm Medicare. I'm not a six-year-old who's dependent on their parents. To the extent that you were really, really pissed that this was happening to you, how did you balance that with your fiance and with your son? Well, I was lucky I had an amazing social worker who literally like would print checklists for me. This is what you have to do. So every morning, even in the hospital, I would wake up. I would make sure I called, make sure my son would eat breakfast, make sure daddy would take him to daycare, make sure we I knew his hours. Um, I would be able to call the daycare and make sure he was there. So setting a schedule really helped me every single day. And it, it really was able to like put me through mommyhood and, and cancer patienthood at the same time. So it, it was like two different hoods, mommyhood and cancerhood that came together in this horrific hurricane of emotions and anxiety and mental and physical stress and pain. But I had to get through it. So FaceTime probably came in very handy. Very handy. Very, very handy. See, a great use of modern technology that thankfully exists today. Although the Young Health Cares movement didn't create that, we did buy all the iPhones when they started, so you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Amanda. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, Amanda, I want to go to how you, I hate the phrase, took action, right? Your your reaction to all this fuckery and this utter isolation you should not have had to experience lent itself towards your channeling that to the intranets. Yeah. Are you a writer or you just became a writer? I just became a writer. I didn't do really great in language arts in school. Unfortunately, because of brain surgeries, I, I didn't finish college. And luckily, people kind of gravitated towards what I had to say. And I guess I, I kind of got lucky with it. What was the first thing you wrote? What came into your brain surgery head like mine that said, I'm going to write about this first? So the day I was told I had cancer, I videotaped me getting into the ambulance with my bag of blood and I posted on Facebook, I have cancer. That was my very first post. I have cancer. And I started a Facebook page so I could update family and friends. And I just updated people on how I was feeling. And I went live through chemotherapy treatments and flushes and meals and every hospital thing you can think of. And then I started my blog and I called it Cancer is an Asshole because that's what cancer was to me. Did anyone happen to think this was a colon cancer blog? No, not yet. I mean, on, <laughs> with all with all honesty, I thought that this was the, the first time I heard about it. Like, this is another colon cancer blog because, you know, they try to make fun of the butt as much as they can. Yeah. All the irreverence in the colon cancer world because it literally is your asshole. <laughs> all the stuff that's going on. <laughs> all the ostomy folks. I love the tongue and cheek stuff. I love the humor. Did this come to you naturally or did you foment this in other ways or it's like so my favorite curse word is asshole everybody's an asshole so to me that was like cancer you're an asshole and i said it so many times i convinced myself that cancer was an asshole so that's where the name came from my favorite part of this is that the domain was available yes it was <laughs> completely available i typed it in and it popped up and i was like oh yes like i felt like i scored it totally was an epic win. I remember when, like, no one had ever put stupid cancer together. I bought, like, not net on it, every single one that was available. And then I bought, like, stupid Hodgkin's, stupid lung cancer. I bought, like, like 150 stupids of cancers. And then all the fuck cancer people came around and bought every fuck cancer dot co whatever that was out there. But I just love, I love that this was the one epithet that actually didn't yet get owned by someone and you totally took it. Yep, totally. Snagged it up and I'm not letting it go. <laughs> now, where are you from originally? 
I'm originally from New Jersey, born and raised, still here. All right. So that makes sense that asshole is your favorite word. Yes. Yes. Just pick any governor and you're done. Yep. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Jersey. I'm talking to you. Yeah. That's awesome. That's super awesome. So clearly initial response to this from your universe of Facebook was like, holy shit, what do we do? Did you get any of that? Like, uh, how are you feeling? How can I help? Like that accidental pity? Yes. A lot of it. A lot of it. Um, It came from, you know, like friends and family of like, oh, let me know if I can help. But it's too hard to come to the hospital and seeing you. And so I'll call and, you know, never, never calling. And, you know, that that stunk. And I called people out and I was like, hi, I'm here. I'm here for a month and you can come see me. Here's my address. And, you know, I I took cancer with a grain of salt, so to speak, because I really didn't let it bother me as much as, you know, people should. But I was like, I have this and I'm going to make it work for me. And that's what I did. All right. So one of my favorite questions to ask any cancer survivor is what are your thoughts on military terms in cancer? Fighter, warrior, losing your battle. What's what's your take on that? I whatever you want to call yourself. That's fine with me. I love calling myself a fighter. I did fight. Um, I say with every gray hair I have, I earned them. I am a survivor. I am a warrior. You know, like what I've been through. Cancer pushes you to the edge. I've had so much chemotherapy, like my teeth are brittle and breaking apart. But I'm here today. So I'm all for it. I love the term. Aging is a privilege. Yes, absolutely. So how's your boy doing now? He is doing absolutely wonderful. He actually has his own website for pediatric, you know, kids that uh, we have YouTube videos on there that talk about cancer. He wrote a book called My Mom Got Sick, and it was his experience um, through his therapy of talking about it, what he wanted to say to other people. My mom got sick and was bald and lost her hair, and it wasn't fun, but we got through it and now she's home. So that's amazing for him that he's able to experience that and then help other people through what he went through. So we can't help but not talk about the Twitterverse, which you joined and have become a very active member of. And you got a lot of fans and you own the hashtag and it's so unique. When did you figure out that Twitter could be used for not horrible things? Very recently. Um, I think I joined Twitter with cancer as an asshole. Uh, 2018 or 19. And it was me looking for people like me, moms that wanted to vent and just needed to talk to somebody who was willing to say that cancer fucking was horrible and it sucked and cancer is an asshole and I hate it. And I guess people just started gravitating towards the cancer as an asshole because it is. It's that, you know, when you look up the definition of an asshole and it's somebody you don't want to be bothered with it, leave me alone. Like it's that thing you don't want around you. And that's what cancer was. So, you know, asking questions. What was the gray area for cancer? What would you like to say to your oncologist? What do you wish people who had cancer would talk about? What do you want in the hospital? And it's that conversation opener that really gets people interested. So it took me seven years 
to find a peer, my first person that I felt was kind of equal to me. They were young. They had brain cancer. They understood what I was going through. And everyone else was like, oh, you had cancer? My grandpa died of cancer or my dog died of cancer. Like things you really shouldn't say. What's your top, if you have a top three of what not to say to a cancer survivor, what would it be? Uh Probably the, oh, I know someone who had that and died, but that's okay. You're young. You'll get through it. Don't ever tell anyone who's diagnosed with cancer that you know someone who died of the same cancer. It right. doesn't make you feel better. Certainly not, for sure. So did you have an aha moment when you first met your first like young mom with cancer with a baby or with a young boy or young child? Um, No, there wasn't like an aha moment. Like I said, I started from like day one. So I was, you know, walking around with my pole, getting my chemo because I, you know, was bored and I wanted to get some exercise. And the nurses would tell other patients like I was a young mom and I had cancer and I was talking on Facebook or giving other people moral support. And that's how I met other moms and dads that had kids that would come up to the hospital that, you know, had a hard time and were depressed and meeting other people with cancer. I feel like it might have been in the interest of the hospital to tell you there are other patients like you on the floor or in the building at any point. That, that just didn't happen. You just became the mayor of the hospital and like these people found you. Yeah. Um, my doctor connected me to a young patient that was my age that had went through leukemia as well, but she wasn't a mother. Um, I don't know if it's HIPAA law or what, but they didn't say anything about anything, who's there, what they have, what kind of cancer, how old they were. I just kind of took it upon myself to start asking questions. So now you're kind of, quote, asterisk in the clear, wink, wink, right? What are you observing now in like the boat wake of all the crap you went through? What are you writing about? What, what, what still bothers you? Well, the gray areas. So that's what I'm working on right now. I, um, I have, I guess, a docu-series I'm working on. And I talk to cancer patients of all kinds of cancers, lawyers, doctors, oncologists, social workers about the gray areas, what movies don't cover, what people don't talk about, the do's and the don'ts, the, oh, okay, I'm going to come to the hospital, but don't show up. How does that make us feel? The financial part of it, how much money it really takes to go through cancer treatment, what it's really like going through cancer treatment, like what to say, what not to say. Different things about coming to the hospital and what to bring, what gifts we would like, what things we don't want, all of that. I was just speaking to someone about this. In movies, it's you get cancer, you either die or you live and then you're fine and they go back to work and life is normal. But that's not the reality and it's not talked about. So I'm going to talk about it. I love that. I love that all. So loaded question, if you can go back and have one thing happen that didn't besides the whole don't get cancer, what would it be? Ooh, probably needing an emergency appendectomy six days into chemotherapy. That sucked. Wow. So that just kind of showed up? Yeah. Six days into chemotherapy and they didn't want to do it. But if they didn't do it, I would die. And if they did do it, I could possibly die. So it was a no win situation. 
they had to do it. And I'm here today talking about it. I think our hashtag combined is how the hell are we still here? But I'm glad we're still here. That's a long hashtag. Yeah, Very long. That's hashtag. a good one. Don't put okay. that on Twitter. That's just between <laughs> us. All right. All right. That's good. Well, well, I'll take it. Amanda Ferraro, patient advocate, freelance writer, cancer survivor, speaker, mom. You you mentioned you're a minister, a life coach. We'll talk about that on the uh, version two of this episode because there's a whole lot to unpack right there. But my God, you can follow her on Twitter at cancer is an <laughs> I can't even say it. Cancer is an asshole. The hashtag cancer is an asshole. And the website, the domain of all domains, cancer is an asshole.com. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me so much. I'm so excited about this. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.